Praise be to God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 4. We're in the book of Hebrews these days, studying chapter by chapter. We've seen that the book of Hebrews has to deal with one predominant theme of the Lord Jesus Christ as our faithful high priest for all eternity. How he became our faithful high priest, how he is infinitely superior to the Levitical priesthood, the meaning of that ritual in the Levitical priesthood, how it all pointed to Jesus Christ fulfilling everything. The superiority of Jesus Christ to the angels, because the Lord didn't give angels dominion, but he gave Adam dominion, and Jesus was made the second Adam to redeem fallen humanity and restore that place of authority, Jesus being the perfect man, the perfect God-man. And we saw the superiority of Jesus Christ to the prophets, and particularly in chapter 3, which we just read the other day, his superiority over the angels. The divinity of Jesus Christ was firmly established in chapter 1. We saw that in detail. And we see in chapter 3, not only the theme of Jesus Christ being qualified to be the name above every other name, the one who can sympathize with our weaknesses and help us, and to be our faithful high priest, but also God forevermore. Praise be to God. Such wonderful truth that we can go to the Lord within these better promises that are unfolded, better covenant in the book of Hebrews, we also see that with all the benefits and all the explanations, the Lord gives us five very solemn warning sections for all believers in the book of Hebrews. We saw the first one in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and I'd like you to turn to that. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. And we're just going to read this because most people these days, most churches and most preachers, they conveniently ignore these things or minimize them to their own spiritual hurt. And we cannot afford to do that. Whenever God gives a warning, the ones who heed the warnings, they are safe. The ones who minimize it, neglect it, they fall into a ditch. Five main warning passages in Hebrews. We find them in Hebrews chapter 2, chapters 3 and 4, chapters 5 and 6, chapter 10 and chapter 12. These are the passages, sometimes overlapping, I should say, continuing to the next chapter. Hebrews chapter 2, let's hear what the Holy Spirit has recorded, verses 1 to 4. Someone please read that. Hebrews chapter 2, NLD, verses 1 to 4. So we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard, or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. Praise God. Praise God. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we've heard lest we drift away. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. 
the first warning in the book of Hebrews, after talking about preeminence, the superiority, the God has in these last days, as you saw in chapter 1, in the opening verse, spoken to us, not by the prophets and angels any longer, but by his own Son, who is the express image of his person. Praise be to God. Praise God. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, it was enough to require accountability. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. God, who is just, saw when I send my angel to speak to you and you refuse the message, I have to punish. We heard last evening how long-suffering God is. He's the most loving person. Let no human being ever think that our intercession or our love, our mercy, our sympathy can ever equal God's love and mercy and patience and sympathy. It's not true. Unless we are in the Spirit of God, walking exactly aligned with God's perfect will, a satanic thought can come in. Maybe God's not as loving as I thought Him to be. Maybe I'm more loving. Maybe I want to help this one and God doesn't want to help them. What a satanic deception. For God so loved the world, it's not human beings, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came down. God manifest in the flesh, Paul says to Timothy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. He came down. He didn't come down to go sightseeing of all his creation, spend some time tabernacling here and there. He went to the cross to die for our sins. He himself purged our sins, sat down at the majesty on high, the right hand of the majesty. When he meets out a reward, a just reward, when he does good to people who have been pursuing good, as we see in Romans chapter 2, when he deals out punishment to those who persist, no matter how much grace he shows, they keep spitting at his grace. Later on in Hebrews, we see in chapter 10 that they trampled, trampled the Son of God underfoot, despised the holy blood and the grace. What shall we do? What can God do? So the rope that he gives is a long rope beyond human understanding. His patience is renowned. When he steps forward and he says to Saul, it's over, Samuel, stop praying. And he says to Jeremiah, even if Job, Noah, and Daniel interceded before me for this people in Judah, after all that I've spoken, all day long, he said, I have my hands held out to them. Come back, come back. But they keep turning their backs to me and doing perverted, abominable things. Killing their firstborn to the fire, to this demon, so-called God, Moloch. Doing all kinds of immoral acts to the local Canaanite, so-called demon goddesses. They continue to do abomination. They continue to burn incense to the queen of heaven. They had a queen of heaven, not unlike what the Catholic Church has today for centuries, making Mary the queen of heaven. It's an abomination before God. But it wasn't original with the Catholic Church. It's way back in the religions of the ancient Near East. 
These people who knew God brought them out of the house of bondage. Who knew God picked Abram, made him a child of God and a patriarch. Led them faithfully, brought them out to land flowing with milk and honey. He prepared everything. God says, what more can I do for you? What is there that I haven't done for you? They turned the back and burned incense to the Queen of Heaven. It's a demon deception. Anyone who bows to a statue is deceived by a demonic spirit. We saw the Pope do that. Quite a number of Popes. Most notably, John Paul II. Bowing down to a black Madonna. Image. Somewhere in Poland, I believe. Saw the picture. But when pressed for this, they have all kinds of answers. Oh no, it's just showing respect. That's not how you show respect to a human being. No matter how respected they are, you don't bow, especially venerating them in the name of religion. There are certain customs in Japanese culture and other places where someone may bow their head a little bit. But to bow to a figure that's as religious meaning, spiritual meaning, and then to say it's the mother of God, the queen of heaven, all these elaborate so-called theologies, a person cannot go to heaven if they have idols. It doesn't have to be just a statue. It can be a picture. It can be anything. Oriental custom, they worship their patriarchs, their ancestors. It's an abomination before God. God specifically thundered from Sinai. He said, thou shalt have no other God but me. No one else. You should not bow down to any graven image of anything in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. There's only one person whose name should be upon our lips, on our hearts. Always. Jesus. Period. There's one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. No one else. Not Peter. Not Paul. Not Moses. Not anyone. Jesus and Jesus alone. Certainly not Mary. God gives warnings and then he acts. He waits. There are people who hear the truth. And they think they can be in two worlds. But then God comes, like the Red Sea parted, he divides. This is how God acts, whether it's a Hindu, a Catholic, Muslim. He loves everyone. His love is so vast. But when people take him for granted and think that they can pull one over on God, they can have a little statue of Buddha on my office desk, maybe look at the horoscopes, maybe I can do a little... Hindu ritual or a Catholic rosary? Why not? God is patient. God loves. God knows every stage. But according to the measure of truth given to someone and the time that has elapsed, God will hold the person accountable. He said, to him that did not know, he will be beaten with less stripes. But the one who knows, they'll be beaten with more stripes. Hence the punishment will be more, much more severe. Who will preach this truth? Who's on the Lord's side? Who will not turn away and become defensive and angry at the truth? Paul said, have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? Yes, it's human nature, fallen nature, satanic nature, endemic nature to get angry at God. But we can turn 180 degrees and say, Lord, you are the truth. How can I fight against the truth? Let me conform to the truth rather than trying to conform the truth to me. That would be a fatal mistake. So these warnings are there. He said, if you are planning to be with me, be with me. Because he that is not with me is against me. He that is against me is not with me. Either for me or against me. There's no compromise. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The Hebrew Christians knew this. They're being told by the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus is the answer to every longing of the Jewish heart and the Gentile heart. Therefore, because of what was said in chapter 1, is that we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. When we are not in league with the truth wholeheartedly, as you said the other day, by default we'll be on that slippery slope slipping down. Then there should be no wonder why someone fell into the ditch. That's because the truth became like music. Like they told Ezekiel, keep preaching, we love to hear you preaching. Some things are ouch, it hurts. But generally we like your preaching. So keep it, it's like music to our ears. God came to Ezekiel and said, son of man, do you see what these people are doing? They're liars. He said, let me show you, come. And God took him by the Spirit to see behind the walls in their very houses. And they were worshipping all kinds of creeping things, idolaters. But when they came to church, they sat as goody-two-shoes Christians. Dressed well, praising well, crying at the altar. God said, the whole lot of them are liars. We have the choice to say, I want no part of lies, no more. I just want the truth. Because of these things, sincere Hebrew believers in the first century, we must give the more earnest heed. Be very alert, all the more careful attention to the things we have heard, lest we what? Drift away. I keep saying it over and over again. The truth is, there will come a point at which people will fall off the bus. In India and other places, there are buses that go on public transportation and you have the capacity overloaded. At least I've seen it when I was a child. Where people will be hanging outside of the bus and the bus will be tilted and lopsided almost. Just struggling along. So many people, such a population. You'll have the bus completely full on the inside and then people hanging holding on to the bars the window bars and the doors the entrance I should say of the step well and then others hanging on to the people hanging on to the bus so it looks like a bunch of bananas going there but they're human beings holding on. But you know what? Now and then, one or two fall off, just like in the trains. There's a moment of truth at which the person who's not holding strongly enough falls off. It's not the thought or the preaching of me, the Bible. Give the more careful attention. Love yourself, God says. Love yourself. Love your soul enough to get it in line with my word. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And that drifting away is not simply a little wandering coming back. It's like a ship that's gone off course. Just to a degree, we'll take it to a totally different destination. First, the word spoken through angels proved steadfast in every transgression and disobedience, received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which, at the first, began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Someone says, you know, Pastor, these are strong words. I don't know if I can tell my Catholic friend, my Hindu friend, my family member, my Muslim colleague. No, we're not called to go and drop weights upon them like this, but... We who know the truth need to understand where we stand before God first. Only if we, were, we are strong in not compromising in our own walk with God with no hidden deceit anywhere, no compromise, 
See, it's according to the truth. God is so good, isn't he? He doesn't come and drop the whole thing on someone who's just coming to learn about the love of Jesus. But at some point they need to know that God is not to be trifled with. And we cannot bring in idols and say, I want to worship Jesus too. We cannot. But he will reveal and teach as they continue to come closer. Our job is to show love in truth according to the way God wants us to show them to the degree and the time. We need the Holy Spirit. But for us who know the truth, God is asking, are you holding fast to the truth? Do you have other loves? Or is it Jesus only? And if it is Jesus only, are you keeping every word he's spoken for all these years? Or by disobedience, are you despising God? God came to David. He said, you commit adultery, you thought in secret. Now I'll expose your sin publicly. He said, how did you despise my commandment? See how God sees it? Despising his word is despising him. So everything we hear from the Bible, every sermon that's given by God, we're held accountable. We have the privilege, privilege to grow, get stronger and stronger exponentially with greater and greater meekness and love if we come to God with reverence, true reverence, with the heart to obey. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Why is it so great? Because God has now come and spoken to us by His Son. And it was confirmed with signs and wonders by those who heard Him, the apostles. And down the generations, believers walking in the Spirit and speaking not their own two cents but God's truth as it is with love and led by the Holy Spirit to give the degree of truth to the people who need it the way God sees fit. But to whom much is given much will be required and so I must have a fear of God that is healthy. God has told me these things. Have I done it? Do I ever take time to take inventory or is it la-la land and keep going along coasting along Thinking, as I said on Sunday, ritualistically, is with Sunday, Pentecost Sunday. Then we have this festival and that festival. What's the difference between Christianity and other religions? All religions have some kind of ritual and festivals. It's the creaturely habit of man to have cultural ties and affinity and rituals. But remember, the Old Testament is just a shadow of the substance found in the New Testament. The reality. We must have a living, vibrant walk with Jesus Christ. Trust and obey means trust and obey. And who was it that confirmed his, sign, uh, his word with signs and wonders? It was God. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. I had the privilege of telling the neighbor yesterday about Arch and his experience because I wanted him to know it's not just a church. He went to the Catholic Mass and he was saying about how, you know, it's good. After he was widowed, he was happy that my wife is not keeping me from going to Mass. So I'm going. Is he any better? No. You can see it on his face. So I lovingly told him how Jesus loves him and then I told him about some of the miracles that have happened that have happened in the church. And he didn't have any answer to that. He was amazed. And I said how Archana was in the grocery store and she heard a voice, had that impulse to drop what she's doing and run and join the meeting. I asked him this question, I said, Who can do that? I said, Can man do that? God. And so now she's fervently following the Lord Jesus along with the husband and child. God's brought life. The real God, Paul, stood on Mars Hill and said to the unknown God, let me reveal who that is. We have met the living God who is unknown to the world but well known to us. 
and the whole universe will know one day who's the true God. The one who loved so much that he gave his word came down and died on the cross for us in the person of the Son, second member of the Trinity. Although the Trinity was involved in everything, the Son gave his life. So, there's a warning here we cannot ignore. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Today, we're just going over the warnings. It's important. Next warning is in chapter 3, verse 7. As we're into chapter 4, you may as well read it. Someone please read Hebrews 3, 7 to Hebrews 4, 13. 3, 7 to 4, 13. Slowly, please, if you would. Loudly. Let's hear what God is speaking. Hebrews 3, 7. New King James Version. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear His voice, where your father's tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, They shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. <clears throat> While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled, indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt? led by Moses, now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Hebrews 4, New King James Version, 1-13. to Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the words which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those who to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. 
For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterwards have spoken of another day. Therefore, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Least anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of souls and spirits and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. See that? Uh, that's fine. It's me up to 13. Praise God. <laughs> Thank Amen. you. So this passage from 3-7 all the way to 4-13. Remember, it was a letter. They didn't have these chapter divisions. These were letters. And so we look at this section. It's a section that constitutes the second major loving warning of God. And the force of it is unmistakable because God is saying again and again, I swore. That's a very strong word. Not once. He's saying it again and again. Today, if you hear his voice, he's saying, they didn't listen. He keeps pointing back to all those Israelites who came out of Egypt. He said the entire generation, 20 years old and above, they got wiped out. He said the entire generation, we heard last evening that Moses interceded for them. Lord, please, once more pardon them. But they ended up perishing anyway. God wanted to finish it early because he knew that they will not repent. Why do we have to hear this as believers? We have love, we have peace, we have joy, we have Jesus. The message of Pentecost, I told my neighbor, it's not just preaching from some big podium, some religious capital somewhere in the world where billions of people hear and they love the message. What do you hear when it comes from humanistic Demonic sources. You know what you hear? Peace, love, joy. Let's try to be good to each other. Have a better world. Make sure we support green. Green earth. And take care of nature. Try not to kill babies. It has a religious flavor. Surrendering one's life to the one who gave his life on the cross. Being sanctified by that blood and knowing that the Holy Spirit was given only when Jesus went up after he accomplished the mission on the cross. The preaching from heaven will always have the life of holiness following after the Lord with the fear of God. Not a generic humanistic, let's all try to get along. All people will not get along. God said that from the beginning. Light was separated from darkness, right in Genesis. In John's Gospel, men did not come to the light because their deeds were evil. God said, light and darkness do not mix. Now, what kind of religion will try to mix those two and say we can all get along? We ought to be peaceful. We don't go around bashing people or getting angry because they don't believe the truth that God has given us. We love even the enemies who are doing things that are wrong to us. God said love. But that love becomes humanistic and satanic when we think that, you know what? 
We can mix religions. We can be together. Truth and lies do not go together. Well, they knew that these Hebrew Christians, with all the rituals God gave them and their separated life, He said, do not marry the Canaanites. They'll turn your hearts away. They'll destroy your generation. Why? Because God is against different ethnicities? No, He loves all ethnicities. He loves all people because He made all people in His image with the varieties of features and different things. God loves all human beings. But He said, when human beings are given over to demons, demonic persuasions, they become monsters. Dangerous, and we see that evidenced year after year in man's history. We need Jesus Christ. We need the Jesus, not just any Jesus, there are other Jesuses. Paul says, if any one preaches another Jesus, any even angel from heaven, let him be accursed. That's how strong the Holy Spirit has recorded the truth about that. What is this other Jesus? It's a Jesus that says, you can have Christ and you can be immoral. You can have Christ and you can read horoscopes and get into demonic things and astrology. You can have Christ and you can have your rituals. and You can be here and you can go there. You can go everywhere. Get the best of both worlds. What is another Jesus? You don't need to really get too much into doctrine, even if doctrine means the truth, which means the Word of God. Don't get too much into that. Just love people, that's all. That's what I believe. How many people have heard that? I don't get into religion. They say, I don't like to talk about politics and I don't like to talk about religion. I just love people. Really? Can you really love people without the truth? Well, to an extent, we can make that choice. But it won't be the love that is everlasting. And then what's the use after all? What's the use if I don't have eternal love? Jesus came to give everything that we need. So it's important that we know the God of the Bible and Jesus of the Bible exactly as he reveals himself. He's the one, out of love, has issued this warning. And this section is very emphatic, extremely forceful. God saying again and again, today if you hear his voice, today. Why? He said, I don't want you believers, not only in the first century, but in the 21st century, to just float along thinking that you're going to make it. The path to heaven is not an easy path. The gift is easy. We just receive it. But to hold the gift and to continue requires everything that's within us. No man can be Jesus' disciple, a true follower, without forsaking everything that he is and has. Jesus must become the supreme love. Then, the Spirit of God will work mightily use us to save other people. Now, verse 8 in King James, it says, For if Jesus had given them rest, that's a mistake there to put the name of the Lord. They meant Joshua, Yeshua. Speaking about the man who would succeed, who succeeded Moses and brought these people into the promised land. Yes, there was a rest there. supposed to be a physical rest and a spiritual rest, but they never attained to the spiritual rest because... As soon as they got into Canaan, guess what? They began to be proud. Hey, I got my house. I got my job. I have my car. I have my own tree I can sit under, shade. Kids are doing well. Wife is doing well. I got these future retirement things, scheme going. I love it. Thank you, Lord. As far as being faithful to God, well, my son wants to Go out with that Canaanite girl over there. I don't see anything wrong with that. Moses, Joshua, Levi. I think there's just too much. I think, you know what? Religion is really dividing the people. Yeah, I'm a Jew. I'm a Hebrew. I love God, but I also love people, okay? So I'm going to invite her to my son's bar mitzvah. She can bring her creepy crawly things around her neck with a necklace and then go out with my son and go smoke this and that and do that. What's wrong with that? As long as they don't kill each other. They could probably get married and have good kids. I wonder how a Jewish Canaanite kid would look like anyway. It's kind of 
satanic persuasion when God says stay separate. Again, it's not against ethnicity, it's against demonism. Every race in the human race, every creed, every color, every culture, has a segment of it, whether it's black, white, Hispanic, Indian, whoever it is, as a segment of the population that's given over to demonism. And out of such a group, just like Abraham from an idol-worshipping group, God takes people who are willing to listen, gives them real life, shows them all this practice in your in your native culture. A lot of it is demonic. Stay away from it. But God, they, they'll think that I hate my culture. I don't like my people. So what? Jesus' own brothers and sisters, his family wanted to throw him out. But who has the love for God, the passion that, Lord, I'm not the first one to face any persecution. Plus, there's not even martyrdom. My life is not threatened. God trains us to see there's a hostility, there's a darkness, there's a trouble that is there, that is against God's truth and God's light. That we must understand there's no middle ground and there's no easy road of discipleship. And what does God do? Even the book of Hebrews, with the warnings, He gives tremendous encouragement. He said, don't give up. Look at that weight you're holding. The weight of self-security, self-indulgence. You want a comfortable life. You want to not get mixed up in uh, any argument and you want to be a people-loving person. You want to be loved by all and be a lover of all people and just be, you know, a quiet, good Christian. He says, those are weights that will keep you from becoming what God wants you to be, so let it go. You have to stand up for the truth. God will show us how to stand up for the truth in love. We continue to look to God for the help we need to know how to walk. Every day, if we say, Lord, by the way, this word here, it says, uh, therefore let us fear. Verse 1 in chapter 4. You know what the word fear is in the Greek? Not surprisingly, it's phobio or phobio, from where we get phobia. There are two kinds of fear. One is a godly fear, the other is a demonic fear. Demonic fear will make us fear death, Make us fear the future. Make us fear people. Make us fear everything. It's demonic. It's a bondage. We cannot be what we're created to be free. It's a prison. Godly fear will make us more and more free because it will keep us from the very things that will imprison us. Sin. Godly fear will move a person to say, God is a rest for me. What is this rest? It's salvation in all that it entails. That's the rest. Where I'm free to serve God and obey Him, be faithful to Him, come what may, I will stick with Jesus. The disciples who were with Jesus, they saw the thugs come and they split. They left Him. They deserted Him. For a moment, Peter took out his sword and he did some damage and Jesus healed that ear of the servant of the high priest and he split too he went and hit somewhere trying to get close but he hit himself and he lied and he denied Jesus three times this is not for us to see and say well that's human nature you know we never know what we'll do when we get there so I'm not going to say anything I don't know who knows when somebody asks me and it's a hostile environment if I believe in Jesus I don't know how I'm going to respond no that should not be the answer. We should know. By the strength of our faith and obedience to God, we can know. You think Paul would have, would have lied when he became a Christian? He was just a brand new Christian. To go immediately preaching in the synagogues, Jesus, knowing the persecution, potential death under their blasphemy laws, because it was a twisted, perverted, Law, they didn't understand Jesus is God. 
But they could have tried him for blasphemy, which indeed they did later. But he was not too old of a Christian when he told the other believers, some of them longer Christians, long time, disciples, look, I'm not just ready to be arrested when I go back to Jerusalem. Paul, do not go there. They try to kill you. Do not go there, please. Wouldn't you write a letter or something? Maybe they would have suggested. Why don't you send some other people who are not Jews or less inclined to become victims over there? Why do you have to go? They tried to kill you. We care for you, Paul. Please don't go. He said, look, I'm not just ready to be bound and put in prison. I'm ready to die for the Lord. He was speaking the truth. Peter didn't know. Paul knew. Peter wasn't filled with the Spirit at that time. Paul was. When Paul said, I'm ready to die for Jesus, he meant it and he did. After he finished his mission. We can know the strength of our affinity and love and passion for Jesus. If we're truly surrendered, if we really fear him. So it's a good thing to have the fear of God. It's a necessity. Not just faith in God, but have a fear of God which the Bible says in Proverbs is the beginning of wisdom, and it's the quality in our souls that keeps us from falling into a ditch. That's how valuable the fear of God is. Not a phobia, as we understand it in society, but it's a healthy reverence for God that I cannot disobey God. The effect of Hebrews chapter 2 the beginning verses, chapter 3, 7 to 4, 13, and three other warnings in the same book, is that no matter who tries to convince us to do something against God, we tell them point blank, I cannot sin against God. But this, but that, I cannot sin against God. That's what you call the fear of God. That's what God is trying to convey. In a day and age when people are comfortable Christians, at least on this side of the world, in the Western Hemisphere, and some places in the East and Middle East and other places where there's no call for any persecution, if at all, it's very minimal. But there are other places where it's tremendous cost. Love is tested, just like faith, and only then can it be proven. When two people are married, they can say, we've been married for 35 years. And every Valentine's Day, we do things together. Every birthday, take my spouse to the Bahamas. And we have candlelight dinners and cruises and, oh, we do a lot of things together. They seem to be the perfect couple. The epitome of love in a marriage. But you know what? It's when one of the spouses falls sick. No longer able to have the candlelight dinners. No longer able to get out to any cruise or any celebration. Maybe cannot even speak. That's where love is tested. Most love in this world, in a married relationship or not, is something of... Uh, utilitarian persuasion as long as you're useful to me wasn't Hitler like that he said who needs the handicapped who needs the sub-German species they don't function for us they're not worthy isn't it true of the caste system in certain places especially in India isn't that mentality still there, even if officially some parts they may say it doesn't make sense anymore? In a marriage, as long as a partner is useful to me, can meet my needs, isn't that the reason why divorce abounds? In most cases. About me, after all, was really not about the other person at all. 
when another person comes that looks younger and more prettier, quote-unquote, more handsome, more loving and has a listening ear, so much more patient than my wife or my husband, that's when love is tested. Whether I trash that, I don't care how good it looks or how good it seems. It's garbage because I'm committed to my spouse. I love her. I love him. Is God wrong for asking us whether our love is real, whether our faith is real? And to say the proof is in your obedience and in your rejection of anything that is opposing to my love in your life? How we would be ready to justify the test of love and faithfulness in human relationships. How people every day, they call to accountability. Call to account. Others who claim to love them. Do you love me for me or my money? They don't say anything wrong with that. When it comes to God, almost like a ghost in the sky who's just going to navigate my life and give me good luck. God have mercy. He's the living God. He's a personal God. Demands absolute surrender, absolute obedience. Not because he's a tyrant, because he is God. And he loves us more than anyone else. When we obey him, blessings abound. When we obey him, blessings abound. Heaven opens. God will give us dreams and visions and direction. And we'll be able to see things crystal clear. This is where my spouse is headed. This is where my children are headed. This is what the world says and the devil says. In my own human thinking, but this is what God says and God's way is always best. It may seem counterintuitive to everything that I see, hear, and read and the prognosticators, the future predictors. Just like financial planners and forecasters, gurus. We need to look to God. Lot had a financial plan. He ended up in terrible misery because he went after his human intuition which was inspired by the devil at that moment how do we know look what happened to his wife and his daughters and he barely escaped alive from destruction Abraham on the other hand Abraham was not led by feelings as a man of faith he listened to God's word and that's all prospered his name is renowned even today God wants every Hebrew Christian in the first century, each and every one of us, He wants to do like He did for Abraham. Are you ready? To make your name great. But we must heed the cautions. Take Him seriously and say, Lord, You are God. Can I afford not to pray to You? Can I afford not to read Your Word, Lord, and to live by it? No. I want everything You have for me, Lord. I want to grow. I want my family to prosper. Not just temporarily, but eternally. I don't want to be just prospering on my own. I want other people to be prosperous. That's God's intent. That was His intent through Abraham. He said, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Why? Because the seed of Abraham generations later was Jesus Christ. And through Jesus, who comes? To heaven. Every tribe, every tongue. People from every tribe, every tongue. Jew and Gentile. Everything is consummated in the end. But God brings all kinds of people into heaven. But the only people who make it to heaven are the ones who love God with a passion, faithful to Him, in His Word, taking heed to every warning to keep safe from compromise and deception. End up receiving the crown from God while seeing a lot of people follow them because they were faithful and they spoke the truth and love as led by the Holy Spirit. We're in a win-win situation when we come to Jesus Christ. So much so than the end of Romans 8 as we close this morning. He says, Shall persecution shall death even death separate us from the love of God? Shall angels 
principalities, powers, anything in creation. The New Living Translation says, and I'm convinced. And before that, verse 37, Romans 8:37, no. Even with persecution, for standing up for the truth. He says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, Romans 8.38, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries for about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. The New King James it says, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's heart. Though the warnings are severe, just like a child again is told, don't touch that outlet. Little finger should not go there. The child doesn't understand. So what does the parent do? Give a good yank. It's a little rough. The child needs to know this is something that will get mommy, daddy angry. We don't do that. As the child grows, understands, okay, it's because of electricity and the deadly nature of it. Mommy and daddy yanked me and gave me a spanking. They care about my soul. And as we mature, we see everything God says is a perfect instruction to protect us and to prosper us. He's the best Father. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You are good. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray that the fear of God would be in each of us, would grow in us, Lord, that we would be absolutely defiant against the devil. Every scheme of Satan, every humanistic religious twist of a me-centered religion, a compromising religion, a comfortable religion, self-indulgent. Help us to get rid, Lord, of that pernicious trio of the altar of self, me, myself, and I. Help us, Lord, to be about you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To glorify you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. This day is a day of promise. For those on the other side of the world, this afternoon, evening, is a night of promise. That God will meet with us. As we've heard the word, God will show us. What things are left undone in my life? God told me to do. I haven't done them yet. What things did God say to be passionate about, but I'm less than passionate about? Oh, God, I pray that you help each and every one of us to rearrange our priorities. That everything in our lives are well-pleasing to you, Lord. That you have the preeminence. That you are our first love. And we'll see, Lord, that our children, our spouses, our families, they'll all, Father, be blessed tremendously like Abraham's children. Lord, he was uncompromising and they saw leadership in Abraham because he knew how to be a good follower of God. And all the servants and the whole family followed the way. And you were able to say about Abraham, I know him. I'm going to speak to him like a friend, reveal things that nobody else knows. I'm going to lead him. I know him. He'll command his children after me. I can trust Abraham. Thank you, Lord. We heard part of that message yesterday, Lord. We talk about, I trust God and I trust God. But the question is, can God trust me to do what he told me to do? To love him first and be a leader amongst my people to show what the fear of God looks like, what the love of God looks like, faithfulness to God looks like. I pray, Father, that every test that comes our way we prove ourselves to be real lovers of God. Beloved children who will not depart from the living God as we're warned in Hebrews. That we will not be deceived. We've been warned already of how there's a humanistic love, humanistic gospel 
there's a twist of the truth. The devil's very clever. But Lord, the Spirit of God finds him out every time and warns us. I was to think like you, walk with you, Lord, in love and in truth. And finish our race well. Oh, my God. I thank you, Lord, for lifting every burden. Lift, lifting every sickness, Lord. Mobilize your people, Lord, to do the things we need to do today, my God. I thank you, Jesus. I praise you and thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.